Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our word on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. And welcome to the House of Mystery, and wow, what a show this evening. Not only have you got me interviewing, but you've got co-host Kevin Thompson, and we are interviewing such a popular person in the world of podcasts and the paranormal, and that is Jim Harold. Jim, we are thrilled to have you with us. Thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed, not just by myself, but also by Kevin, which is like a two-on-one scenario. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, that's oh, just okay. fine. I'm glad to be here with both of you, and thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. Oh, you are so welcome. Um I've explained off air to, to, to Jim how Kevin and I both tend to interview a little bit randomly in that I don't have a great deal of understanding or knowledge about Jim's podcast. And I make sure I do that deliberately to all my guests so that I can um, get to know the person rather than their public persona. So my first question, Jim, is, I'm going to work backwards if that's OK. So who is Jim today and how do you differ from Jim in 2004, the year before you created the Paranormal Podcast? Well, uh, first of all, uh, I am, uh, I, I technically know a lot more about the paranormal than I did back in 2004. I started in 2005. And that Jim was interested in the paranormal, but had no idea what he would be getting into. And the gym now, even though I've done probably over uh, 1,300, 1,400 podcasts on various aspects of the paranormal, and when I say paranormal, I use the big tent philosophy and include UFOs and cryptids, but I've done 1,300, 1,400 episodes on the paranormal, and Jim 
2017 realizes that the more you know about the paranormal, the less you know, and the more questions come up. And Jim back then thought, or actually Jim in 2005 thought, oh, it'll be great if I do this podcast for six months, I'll, I'll get to talk to all these smart people about the paranormal, and I'll have it all figured out in six months. And Jim now realizes, um, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know if we'll ever have the final answers uh, until we uh, reach the other side, uh, but it's sure fun exploring. So I guess that's one of the, the biggest differences. And what do you do with the information? So I've interviewed you know, numerous people in the world of paranormal. I've worked alongside them. And I suppose you take little bits from each person, individual learning, or, or maybe something that you totally disagree with, and, and you form your own view. So what do you take from um, your interviews, or do you just kind of listen to them and they go into the ether? Well, no, I think that different uh, interviews can have things that stick with me. My philosophy is this, and, and people, listeners who listen to the show, sometimes get a little confused on this point. They assume that I bring someone on with a particular take on what ghosts are, for example. Okay. And they assume, ah, by the act of Jim having this person on the show, that Jim is endorsing their viewpoint. And that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes I agree. Sometimes I disagree on some subjects. I may not have a strong opinion. But I think my job as a professional podcaster and essentially a broadcaster is to bring interesting people with a wide array of viewpoints about these topics, let them share their viewpoints with the audience and not be a, uh, an adversarial uh, person. You know, occasionally I might say something like, well, you know, uh, Julia, a skeptic might say thus and so. It may be uh, occasionally playing devil's advocate, but for the most part, have them let them have their say and then let the audience decide. So kind of on a global level, I think my job is to bring people interesting shows, thought-provoking shows, people, some people they may agree with, some people they may disagree with bitterly, uh, but then let them take the information and do with it what they will. If it's something they want to pursue further, most of these guests have books and websites and different things that they do. Or if they, they chuck it on the, the ash heap and say, this isn't for me, that's, that's okay too, that's it, right? In terms of me personally, I think it's like anything in life. Um, whether you're reading a book or taking some kind of training. And boy, this has been a great training for me. I mean, I don't think I know the answers, uh, but I know a lot more of the questions. So having to talk to people from like Eric Von Donneken, who is the kind of a godfather of the ancient aliens theory, to talking to people like Brad Steiger, who's written more books on the paranormal than anybody living or dead. Um, and, and Stanton Freeman on UFOs and all these different great people. It's provided me a great education. I don't know that I have the answers, but from each person, if I think they have valuable information, I'll take a little a little pointer. It reminds me when I used to work in the business world when we would take a training. It was always my philosophy. They would try to give you the full picture and like you follow this system. And I always kind of took it as every time I took a training, if I could get two or three little nuggets that would help me do my job better than it was a success. And I kind of feel that way with these interviews I, because I honestly don't think anybody has the whole answer. Uh, I think people have parts of the answer. So I try to pick and choose and take from them what, what makes sense to me. 
Yeah. So would it be fair, Jim? And and let me say thank you for for putting it so concisely. I mean, I completely agree with you. And as a, a host and and co-host myself, sometimes I will pick a topic intentionally that I know nothing about in order to learn and, sure. and to ask those questions. Well, that's the, the, the funny thing is people will say, oh, Jim, you're such a paranormal expert. And it's like, no, I'm not a paranormal expert. I'm just basically just like you. And, and sometimes one of the biggest compliments somebody will give me is you asked the question I would have asked or I wanted to know. And that to me is a great compliment. And it's something Julie was saying about not over prepping for an interview. <laughs> and Absolutely. there was a, a famous American broadcaster who never read the book. Um, Larry King, and he said he would never read a book of somebody who came on the show, and a lot of people said that was a big cop-out. It's like, oh, you're not, you're not preparing. And I can't say I read every book. I try to skim through. I try to get some key points, those kind of things, but doing basically 20, 24 shows a month, whatever it is, there's no way I could read oh. every book that's a guest they're on, or I'd read it. You know, that's all I would do. Um, but, but the point is, is that there, there's, I'm going to use this phrase. There's something good about knowledgeable ignorance, if that makes sense. Um, you have a general idea, but, uh, if you know all the answers, uh, you may not ask the right questions. So I think there is a, there is some, uh, validity to that. And I try to think, well, what would I want to know? And even if I do know the answer, for example, if we have somebody on talking about something like Roswell, um, now, I know the the basic who, what, when, where, chapter, and verse, but you have to remember your audience may not know that. So you have to kind of pull yourself back what you've learned and kind of unlearn it and say, well, what would I want to know if I'd never heard of Roswell or whatever the, the case may be? Or, for example, a big mistake people make is say, oh, well, uh, for example, ghost investigation. Well, there were a lot of EVPs. Well, half your audience may not know what EVPs are. Exactly. So you got to make sure that... It's a careful balance you have to strike between people who are knowledgeable, who are listening, and maybe people that are new to the field. Yeah, and here's a good point. Let's say you have a guest on, and then maybe one, two years later, you have that same guest on with an update. However, I usually start again from the basics in right. maybe the first the first couple segments in order to right. you know bring new audience members up to speed. Right. No, I think that's important. Uh, and uh, and to refresh myself as well, but I think that's very important. Something like for people who may not be familiar with this uh, this case, this uh, haunting or, or this UFO case or this particular cryptid, whatever the case may be, I think that's uh, extremely valuable. So I think you always have to keep in mind your audience, uh, their knowledge level and what they, what they want to know and what they're interested in. Now, we're, we're sitting here talking, though, about, you know, how we do shows and do radio shows and we do podcasts and how we cater to an audience. What was your influence and how did you get started into it? Well, uh, as I mentioned off air, I had gone to college for broadcasting or communications and my master's degree in communication. And I started in the early 90s at a radio station. And what I was told was, hey, you get a you get a job anywhere you can in the radio station just to get in the building. Hey, sweep the floors if you need to. So there was a sales assistant job. And lo and behold, about a, a dozen years later, 2005, I found myself with a wife, two kids, a mortgage, and I am a salesperson. And that's all I've 
ever really been professionally in radio. And I kind of looked and I said, and I was 35 at the time, and I'm like, wait, this whole dream about being a broadcaster, that's over, isn't it? And then I heard about this thing called podcasting. And essentially what happened was, is I was thinking about, well, what can I podcast on? What am I legitimately interested in? Because I just don't want to be one of those people who gets on the mic and just uh, talks about, you know, what I had for breakfast. So I want to find a topic that I'm genuinely interested in and maybe contribute something. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was a little kid, Leonard Nimoy and In Search Of kind of started me on the path. And ever since then, uh, and so many people say that, by the way, uh, so kudos oh. to him. I know he's mainly thought of, and I know he was a host. He wasn't the producer or anything, but he's mainly known as Spock. But uh, for uh, for a bunch of us out there, his work on In Search of was just as important. Yes, and, every every <laughs> Sunday afternoon. <laughs> yep, uh, here in uh, I'm I'm calling from Cleveland, Ohio, 7 p.m. on uh, Sunday nights. I would watch In Search of and uh, never missed it. Uh, but um, ever since then. If I, at that point, uh, go into a bookstore when we still have bookstores uh, or a library, I would instantly go to the uh, to the paranormal section. And I was kind of bummed because there, first of all, there wasn't enough. And uh, when I looked at podcasting and learned about it, I heard about these great bi- uh, broadcasters doing it. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I could do as well as they can. People like Leo Laporte and Adam Curry. But then I heard some of the homemade ones. And I'm like, well, I could do better than that. And uh, that's how I started. I said, I want to do something that really interests me and I can learn about. So really, when I say that, when somebody listens to me and they say, well, you're a paranormal expert. Well, first of all, when I came to this, I knew... Nothing but what I read. And over the years, hopefully I've learned some things, but still not learned those answers. But I'm just further down in my journey than you are, maybe. Uh, I'm 12 years into my journey, but I'm still a questioner. I'm just, as I say, I'm not a paranormal expert. I'm just a guy who asks questions about the paranormal. And hopefully I ask some of the right ones. But that's how I got my start. And uh for a few years, I did it part-time and on the side, and it grew to such a point it was like having two full-time jobs, my day job and my podcasting job. And finally, talked it over with my wife in 2012 and said, I think we can do better as a family. Uh, I can be happier and healthier and all of that stuff if I give this a full-time go. And to her credit, she said, go for it. And uh been doing it full-time ever, ever since. I'm very thankful to the audience and the opportunity to do it. Jim, if, if I may ask, is, is there um, any aspect of the paranormal that you have you have listened to, you, you know, you've asked the relevant questions, and then you found a need, you felt a need to go out and investigate further on a practical level? So have you experienced um, going to a medium, going to a, a paranormal investigation, um, you know, going out in search of UFOs, anything on a practical level? Actually, um, I've gone on some kind of minor ghost hunts, nothing real uh, extensive. Honestly, I don't see that as my role. And that may sound very unusual because I think mm. most people assume that um, most people assume that if you are a host of a show, you're also either an investigator or a medium or those kind of things. 
And I don't see that as my role at all. I think my role is as um, almost like a paranormal journalist. Um, another thing that I do in addition to the interviews is I have a show which is probably my most popular, uh, Jim Harold's Campfire, where people call in and tell their own supernatural stories. So to me, my job and my role in all of this is to surface the information, surface the accounts, surface uh, uh, the, the the information from the experts and also from just everyday people who have experienced strange things. I have several books based on uh, the campfire show. So to me, that's my role. And this is the analogy I would give. You know, if you watch a if you watch a sporting match, if you watch a sporting match, you'll have broadcasters. And many times you'll have broadcasters who played the game. You know, they used to play football or whatever it might be. And then you have other uh, broadcasters who are just professional broadcasters. That's all they've ever been, and they see their role to report these various contests. That's what I see as my role with the paranormal, is to report it and to get the information out there, whether it's somebody who's written 50 books or someone who just saw a ghost on a Friday afternoon. Um, that's how I see my role. Not saying that I wouldn't go on an occasional ghost hunt or something like that just to experience it or... Uh, for those reasons, but I don't see that as a major thrust of, of what I do or what I plan to do. So is there anything in, in what you've heard, I suppose, for me, I'm, I mean, I'm a medium, but at the same time, I interview others and I respect their views. I may not always agree with those views because you have your own set of values, beliefs, etc. But is there, any, is there any part of the paranormal world that you find harder to believe? And remember, when I talk about the paranormal, I'm using a very kind of big tent philosophy, and some people may exclude this. But, for example, some people will include things like cryptids or cryptid creatures, yeah. right. like Bigfoot and those type of things. I'm a little more skeptical on those. I mean, uh, um, if we're talking about things like sea creatures and those kind of things, that's very easy for me to believe because the oceans are so unexplored. Uh, with something like a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot, I tend to be a little more skeptical because we haven't had a body. Now, again, being somewhat skeptical is different than saying it absolutely cannot be. I would not rule it out, and I think it is still within the realm of possibility. But if somebody asked me, I would say the chances are 20 to 30 percent. Whereas life after death, I would say it's 99.9. That there's something to the UFO phenomena, I would say it's probably 95%. Um, some of those I'm very much uh, in the direction of believer. Cryptids, it takes a little more, uh, a little more convincing for me. But that, I, I wouldn't rule it out. I, I think it's possible. Uh, just probably not probable. But I still do a show for my premium club called The Cryptid Report, because I know many people are interested in it. And I also like to hear uh, different viewpoints. I was just interviewing uh, Nick Redfern about cryptids, and I can't recall the point it was, but it was a very good one. And it was something, even after all these years of doing this, and this is why it's very important to pay attention to these interviews as an interview, because sometimes you'll learn something, and it's like, I can't believe I didn't know that, or I didn't think about that possibility. So I, I want to keep an open mind, uh, but that's one that I'm a little more skeptical about. Okay, and you mentioned your campfire books. Yes. And how 
and, and, and your campfire show. So tell us a little bit about that. How, how does it work? Well, the way that started was in 2009, I think it was literally I didn't have somebody that week lined up for the show. And uh, I said, you know, I have to put out an episode. What could we do that's different? And let's do a show where just listeners call in and they tell their stories of the supernatural. And lo and behold, we published that episode. It was extremely popular. And I'm like, aha, there's a show here. <laughs> so we started uh, Camp Buyer in 2009. And it is basically that. Uh, the show usually runs these days. Uh, we've lengthened it a little bit. It usually runs about an hour sometimes a little more, and usually we'll have half a dozen people come on and say, Jim, I'm Bill from North Dakota, and this is what happened to me, and it's as simple as that. They just recount what happened to them. We don't coach them. We don't exaggerate. Uh, we get some you know, very subtle kind of accounts. We get some jaw-dropping accounts, but it's all very organic uh, and very real. And uh, that really seems to resonate with people. And when I first started it, I thought it was more like, oh, this will be a very entertaining thing. This will be fun, like sitting around a campfire. And there's that aspect to it. Mm -hmm. But I was kind of surprised how it uh, sat with people in the sense that it made them feel comforted. Because somebody would call. I mean, I had a gentleman who came on and said, uh, and he was probably 50. It'll have to be 60 years old. He said in 1969, he was a little kid and he saw a leprechaun. And then his brother said he saw a leprechaun. Now, in some quarters, if somebody would say that, they'd be laughed at if they called up to a traditional uh, station, not not a show like yours, but other programs and said, hey, I saw a, a leprechaun in 1969. And they would say, have another drink. Um, but not on my show because... I don't know what the man saw. And he mentioned that his brother later confirmed this. Now, maybe he saw something he interpreted as a leprechaun. Maybe it was something like the jinn, which are kind of shape-shifting, uh, kind of scary uh, creatures that uh, if you don't know about, uh, you want to be scared, check out the jinn, uh, D-J-I-N-N. Um, my point is, is that I, I never ridicule somebody. I never laugh at them. Because I don't know what they saw. In most cases, and the ones that resonate with me the most are the ones that go something like this. Jim, I don't see these kind of things. This kind of thing doesn't happen to me. But there was this one time. And then they go on to tell you this incredible story. And they're not, you know, many of them are frightening. But many of them are heartwarming about a loved one who's passed. And, and maybe they got a sign back to them or maybe a guardian angel saved them from certain doom. So I, I think the supernatural and the paranormal we tend to think about it in the spooky and the scary realm and that's fun and uh, you know that's part of halloween and entertainment and all that and i do think that's a part of it i think it's a continuum but i also think there's the sweet and poignant and reassuring side of it too and we try to cover all of that on the campfire now having said all that jim i mean and we've said a lot let me tie a lot of things together now paranormal Let's just look at it. Like you said, it's an umbrella term, and there's so much underneath of it. But what, you've done this a long time, what is your favorite topic? And I already know it's not cryptids. So what is your favorite topic, and, and what guess has inspired you the most, inspired, you know, and changed the way that you think? 
Well, uh, the the second question is a little tougher because there's so many people that I've I've talked to who've been interesting. Um, but the topic by far that interests me the most is the one that relates to all of us, the afterlife, because I've often said this. We might not all see a UFO. We might not all see a cryptid. We might not all see a ghost even. But I can tell you this, and I hate to be the one to break it to everyone, but we're all going to die. To die. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, there's no question and, about it. And pay taxes. And pay taxes. And ugh, don't even get me started on that. But anyway, uh, the, the, the point is, is that this is something that is universal. I think it is the great mystery. And I think everybody wants to know. I mean, even people who don't believe in an afterlife wonder, and even people who do believe in an afterlife wonder, is this just, you know, do you just kind of go to sleep and that's it? Like you're asleep forever. Is that is that all it is? Because if you think about it, sleep, you know, a little death, um, basically you're really not conscious uh, much of the time. You don't know, is that what happens when we die? Or do we have a great reunion with our family? Uh, you know, you ask how maybe I changed. I can't give you a guest per se, although a great guest for the subject's uh, Professor Jim B. Tucker from the University of Virginia. He's taken on the work of Ian Stevenson. But the idea of reincarnation, um, I can't, I mean, I come from the Christian faith, so it's a little bit in the face of what I was brought up with, although to hear many people tell it, uh, reincarnation was once part of the Christian faith and taken out, I yes. think, in the Council of Nicaea or something. Yes, but it was. that's something that I used to be, I was always curious about. Even as a little kid, there was uh, there was even a movie here in the States, The Many Lives of Peter Proud or something like that. I remember as a little kid. So I was interested in this as a little kid, which is kind of interesting in itself. Uh, maybe something was trying to speak to me. But that's one that I'm a little more in the camp of it's possible than before I just kind of rejected it out of hand. So uh, I just think the the biggest, the couple biggest changes to me uh, philosophically are, is that the, the, the universe is way more complicated than we have any idea of. And that was a Plato's parable of the cave. Um, I think that's right. Is the idea that we're kind of chained against this wall and we're seeing these flickering, the shadows of flickering images of a fire, but we really don't know that there's a fire there. We really don't know what we're seeing. And sometimes I wonder if that's the case. Is, you know, we're just kind of swatting at phantoms, no pun intended. And we really have no idea what's going on. It's far stranger and far weirder. The other thought is that all of this stuff is somehow connected. You know, there's a lot of coincidence between these different kind of phenomena that I never... Uh, looked at, if you look at the, I talked about the uh, In Search Of show, and they would say, we will discuss, we will uh, investigate uh, UFOs, cryptids, and, you know, all these different things that they're strange animals. I think they said strange animals. But anyway, they like, they're very siloed and separated. And now I wonder, after talking to so many people, is there some connection between UFOs and ghosts? I don't know. Uh, yes. For example, for example, UFOs. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I used to think, well, they're one of two, one of three things, hoaxes, um, little green men, or military. And I still think that those are possibilities. But now, is it something from another dimension? Is there a spiritual piece to this? Uh, so many possibilities I'd never even thought about. So that's going back to the first question. That's that's the way that changed my my. My field of possibilities has increased uh, greatly. Oh, now you got me fired up, Jim. Because finally, <laughs> I, I have heard somebody else say it other than myself. Why? Let's look at this big umbrella again of the paranormal. And why isn't it all possible and all connected? Like you said, everybody's stovepipes. You know, you've got ghosts over here, cryptids here, UFOs here, ancient aliens here. Why isn't it all possible and all connected? Yeah, and if you want to get sinister about it, and it was so funny, I was just on a paranormal cruise, and Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who has been a great guest on the show many times and is a great author, uh, was talking about the gin and the trickster element. And um, I had a presentation on black-eyed kids, which are these kind of phantom kids that show up and want to get into a home 
um, and, and and are very insistent. And the question is, what do they do once they get in? And they have their entire eyeball is black, just a terrifying thing. And some people think it's a meme and some people think it's real. But what if things like men in black, black eyed kids, um, shadow people, what if they're all under the umbrella example of jinn, which are kind of trickster creatures? Uh, it just, it's like a gigantic rabbit hole because you go down it and it's like you're in Alice in Wonderland. You don't know top from bottom, left from right, and there's no absolutes. And it's just puzzling. Sometimes it can actually be frustrating. But it's just fascinating going down these little rabbit holes and seeing seeing what lies beyond. Now, do you feel at, at any point during this, you know, and I'm going to call it an evolution uh, throughout your shows and throughout the education that you've gained from all these guests, do you feel at any point that your own personal beliefs have ever biased any of your interviews? Oh, I think everybody's personal beliefs biases everything they do. I think when we think, for example, I'll give you the number one example of that. I think scientists and skeptics. Now, uh, my friend uh, Scotty Roberts says there are two kinds of skeptics, one with a big S and one with a little S. <laughs> yes. you got to be careful how you say that because people get the wrong idea. But but the, 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 the point is, is that the skeptic with the little S says, hey, you know, that could be. Let's take a look at this and... And see and see if there's some evidence for this or what the what the story is. The skeptic with a big S will say, "Oh, can't be. I'm not even going to entertain this. Um, it's just ridiculous, and let's not even look at it. Let's just set it aside." And it's very interesting because you had asked about biases, and I think that sometimes people who are quote true believers don't see their biases, and I think people who are total debunkers don't see their biases. And I think anybody, that question you just asked, um, do you bring your own personal biases into interviews and does it impact? I think anybody who would say no to that is either knowingly lying or they just are have a lack of self-awareness. Because <laughs> I think we're all a, a product of our upbringing. We're a product of the things we're exposed to, what we read, uh, our beliefs, and, and I think... You can do your best. You know, I, I, sometimes I interview people who are very on the far end of the metaphysical or even people who practice things like witchcraft and those kind of things. Now, to me, I would never practice witchcraft. But I have to set aside enough of my uh, personal biases to say, well, this is something that's of interest to people and people want to know the real story about witchcraft. What is it really about? Is it, is it evil? Is it all of these things? Or is it something else? So in those cases, for example, I will do an interview with a witch and someone who themselves calls themselves a witch and say, okay, tell me what it's about. And so I do my best uh, to set those aside. Now, if we get a little darker and we get into things like Satanism and things, that's where I would draw the line. I would not knowingly do an uh, interview with a Satanist. But uh, to a point, I try to set my biases and my beliefs aside and say, well, let's hear right from the horse's mouth. Let's see what they have to say, and and then we'll then we'll go from there. Because my whole take on belief is this: it's kind of like the old maxim, "You're right to throw a punch ends at my nose." <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And uh, I'm, I'm going to use that. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the idea is this. I don't care if you believe in a hood ornament, as long as you don't hurt anybody. Now, when you tell me I have to believe in a hood ornament and that it's a deity, then we have a problem. <laughs> and that's where I think we get into problems with religions. We see, as we're recording this today, there was another uh, terrorist attack, uh, apparently, in New York. Yes. Um, which may have been inspired by some radical beliefs. Um, I think that's the problem. If we can all say, hey, you can believe what you can believe. I can believe what I can believe. We can have a spirited discussion about it, but there's no uh, closing off of free speech. There's no um, violence. There's no saying you have to believe what I believe. I think that's where we should be, and I think we're getting away with that, getting away from that. I think we need to get back to it. I think so many people have, it doesn't matter who you interview, every individual person has their own set of beliefs, sure. based on their values, etc. And certainly as, as a medium, I would go on stage and say to people, I have no idea how I know what I know. I have hypotheses, I, I have some sorts of... Um, idea only because of what other people tell you, what other mediums tell you, but how do I experience it? This is how I experience it. And if I was in a spiritualist church, I would never do a prayer, I wouldn't do the, the religious aspect, because I don't know if it's associated with, with a, a religion or, um, or there's a religious component that's giving me that information. I have no idea. It could be something totally skewed within my, in my brain that does that. So more people we interview who are proclaiming to be of a certain um, belief system, the more um, more questions are raised. So the idea that, that we would ever come to an answer about what is um, what is the afterlife, what is the purpose of living, what what do we we bring to the table? Are we governed by other beings? Is that are we almost living in a matrix? Is, it's just, it's never ending, isn't it? We're just never going to be able to, to come up with the answer. I think that's true. I I, I often wonder, and I, again, I am a big, uh, and, and people don't think this, but I'm a big fan of science. My goodness, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing right now without science. I wouldn't be able to podcast, uh, you know, and, and in the colder climates, you couldn't even have heat. I mean, my goodness, we owe our lives to science, and I think science is great. But I do wonder if science has its limits and if there are some things that science and scientific methods just can't penetrate or at least the science of today can't. For example, uh, the analogy I often use is that of DNA. Now, uh, many scientists will say today, well, there's no such thing as the paranormal and there's no such thing as the afterlife or fill in the blank. And I would say this, by the techniques and the equipment and the processes that we have now, certain things aren't detectable. But who's to say that they aren't 200 years from now? For example, DNA. Now, we did not know that DNA existed in 1900, but now we know that DNA exists and we've sequenced the genome. We know it exists and we can quantify it and use it in many uh, great ways, whether it's to fight disease or to uh, solve crimes. But no clue in 1900. Now, if you would have talked to them about the ether, they would have said, sure. Uh, 
Same point. Even though science is fantastic, and I'm holding in my hand a pocket computer called an iPhone that has more power than, way more power, uh, than uh, the, the computers that they sent man to the moon with. Yes, the Apollo mission. Yes. Um, the, the, the point being that that technology is great, and our advances have been great, but that doesn't mean that they're infallible or complete in any way. So just because you can't see it or measure it today doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And then I wonder if certain things, like the spirit, like the soul, which was supposedly 21 grams, I guess, um, if those things just can't be tested and they're kind of uh, resistant to testing, almost like something or someone doesn't want us to be able to test it. Because the idea is, well, if you, first of all, when it comes to psychics, I'd be interested in, Julia's uh, thought on this is uh, they say, well, why can't you replicate it in a laboratory? Well, my point would be, doesn't being in a laboratory change the whole vibration? It changes the whole situation. Plus, what is success? What Are you expecting 10 out of 10? Are you expecting statistical significance? So I think these things are very, very hard to answer and very, very hard to scientifically measure. I uh, interviewed the uh, famous skeptic, Dr. Michael Shermer, who's probably, other than James Randi, the most well-known skeptic uh, on the earth, and a really nice guy, I've got to say. I mean, many people in his situation would not have given me the time of day, and he was generous with our time, and I think we did a show, 30, 40-minute show. And I said, well, Dr. Shermer, I can probably agree with you in a large amount of cases that, yes, Good, meaning, well-meaning people are mistaken. Because I do believe that happens. I mean, people want to sometimes assign the paranormal to things that are just a draft or electrical interference or whatever the case may be. I think that happens. Uh, not necessarily out of uh, any kind of malevolence or trying to uh, hoax somebody, but people just sometimes like to have a spooky explanation. Other times, unfortunately, I think there are people out there who try to do it for a profit or whatever the case may be. But I think there are plenty of cases, and even if it's a very small percentage, let's say it's just a few percent, let's say it's three percent, and let's say out of the millions of cases reported, 3% have no logical explanation. You've got somebody of very high repute, someone who's very well thought of, uh, someone who's intelligent, has a lot of veracity, a good person, uh, has a lot of character witnesses. There's a lot of accounts like this. What about those few percent? And he basically said, well, we know about those, but we just put them on the shelf. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're taking the cases that could be looked at and examined, and, and we know that the person's probably not lying, that uh, uh, all the, the natural phenomena or any kind of man-made thing is ruled out, and, and these are great cases, and your answer is just put them on a shelf? I didn't get that. I didn't understand. Interesting. Your listeners can look this up. There's a great article in Scientific American by Dr. Shermer. Uh, a couple of years ago, where he talked about what appeared to be his own paranormal existence. And towards the end of it, he said something like, well, of course it wasn't paranormal, but these kind of experiences can shake a skeptic to his core. And it's like, uh, I think it was. I think it was paranormal, the way he was describing it. It's a great story about his uh, wife. I guess he got uh, married uh, within the last several years and her grandfather and a radio that kept playing. 
And it's a great story. It'd be perfect on the campfire. And <laughs> and uh, he still wouldn't say it might be paranormal, but you kind of sensed in the story he didn't really know how to end it because the only logical explanation is that it was paranormal. When I first started, um, well, I had spiritual experiences as a child, but certainly my mediumship didn't kind of click in until much I was much older. And... One of the um, one of the things that I always, I guess, as that started to click in, I was. You hear you hear all these stories from other people about their experiences and what it should be like and what you should be believing and what you should be um, hearing, seeing, doing, etc. And it, it does take a long time, I think, through through your own experiences to develop an identity, to understand, um, and to be responsible with whatever knowledge and experience you have with other people because people are so vulnerable and so you know what you're you've been talking about is you know, those people who are who want to believe in something and they'll have some sort of psychological reason going on for why they might want to believe in something and about how we as um individuals support people that we're hearing on our shows that we um, I've had people on the shows I really have believed have had mental health difficulties as opposed to have had an experience. And I think there's a responsibility there, certainly with the way that maybe I would interview, in making sure those individuals were okay. How, how do you manage that, Jim? If, if somebody was to come on your, your campfire series and start talking to you and you're thinking, this isn't, this isn't okay, how would you manage it? Well, if I felt it was something like that, I... Uh, since my shows are pre-recorded, I would not air it, and then I would kind of try to gently guide them to resources. Um, it becomes a situation, it's a very tough call, because I never want to be someone who judges people. Uh, but I think there are, now this has been very few and far between, very few and far between. I think there have been a couple of cases where I've said, you may want to talk to clergy, you may want to talk to this, or... Uh, seek out professional help, those kind of things. I think that has happened a couple of times, very, very rarely. But I think that that's kind of the way to go. Certainly don't um, ridicule it in any way. Don't uh, don't necessarily um, uh, air it. I would never air it if I thought that were really the case. But it's really, you kind of nailed it. It's a very tough call because how do you make that judgment call? Because you don't, I don't want to be the person who judges somebody unfairly. I mean, I've had things happen to me where somebody might say, oh, you're, you're, for lack of a better term, crazy. Uh, so I'm very careful about that. But I think there are cases where it's absolutely obvious. I think you're correct. But that's only happened a couple of times. And those cases, I think, when I've directed them is to maybe seek uh, professional help. As a medium going on stage, I would be aware that everybody in my audience um, is coming. There's, there's two reasons why people are coming. There's, there's one is because they are sceptical. There's never a non-believer in the audience. And that's because they wouldn't be there if they weren't inquisitive. There's something there, there's a little trigger somewhere that's saying, this could be, there could be something in this. This could be right. Or there's people who are vulnerable and they've lost people and they desperately want something from you. And I'm, I'm always very conscious of the role that I bring to the table um, in that moment when people are that vulnerable. And if out of the blue, I give something, um, a message or, or something to somebody that lifts them and is absolutely spot on. And it, I say a, a phrase, a word, 
that comes from somebody um, that is very meaningful to that person, then then that I would see as as my role. It's very difficult when you're you're in front of um, an audience and you know that there are those two reasons why people are there, and inherently there's there's that huge responsibility with people's welfare. And then I, I've sat there when I've had. Um, experiences of, of hanging and being hanged and I knew somebody had committed suicide in the back how you learn how to question people um, and, and, and ask information without making them more vulnerable or leaving them in a vulnerable place at the end of an interview for example so you can manage that better on stage because they're in front of you you can you can see their responses but certainly when you're doing things over the kind of airwaves or the internet that's much harder to do because you, you you can't gauge somebody's response or how they're managing the information or the questions that you're giving. Does that make sense? It's a long yes, long yes. Well, I'll tell you something that happened here in the States that was very, very sad. There was a case where, um, and this happened in Cleveland, where I live in Cleveland, Ohio. There, you may remember, it made worldwide news. There were, uh, I believe it was three women who had been captured and kept for years in a basement. Just a terrible story. They were cover, uh, they were captured as very young women, and in some cases impregnated, and this, uh, this man uh, had held them captive for years. And, um, and eventually he ended up going to jail, and uh, he killed himself before, um, before he could be prosecuted, but nevertheless. So anyway, one of these, uh, one of these uh, moms of one of these women went on a national talk show and uh, was read by a very well-known psychic who I believe is past now. I won't even use the name. But uh, this psychic said, your daughter is dead. Well, uh, you can imagine the heartbreak it brought this woman. Not only was she not dead, this, this woman ended up dying, and then her daughter was found alive a few years later. So, you know, that, that woman died thinking that her daughter was dead Probably largely because this psychic uh, made a mistake. So if if you're going to say something like that, boy, you better be really sure of it because it probably um, destroyed the last few years of this woman's life. And and actually, the host of the show, Montel Williams, apologized to this woman once she was released, uh, this victim, uh, for for what happened. I mean. Personally, I, I wouldn't ever come out with anything like that. And I think that when I go on stage, I will talk about the fun that you can have as a medium as opposed to just the kind of the doom and gloom. Um, you know, I just that, that's just the way I am because that's my persona on stage. And, and, I, and I want people to go away feeling uplifted, not feeling um, or being kept within a grief cycle. Yeah, just, that was just a very, very sad story. I believe this prediction was made in 2004 uh, yeah. the, the woman died in 2006 and then this this uh, girl uh, who became a young woman uh, wasn't uh, released until 2013 so I guess never say never you know and just um, chilling yeah definitely absolutely okay so I mean a, a final question from myself and I'll, I'll hand back over to Kevin but in all of your experiences I mean you've, you've said Jim that you, you started off not knowing as much and then although you don't know as you still don't know anymore but you know what questions to ask because it's such an expanding subject right if there was one question 
that you could have answered in the world of paranormal, what would it be? Oh, boy. Well, it's a two-parter. I hope I can give a two-parter. Do we survive? <laughs> Do we survive physical death, and and what is that experience like? I think that's the I think that's the the uh, two-part question that I would ask because that answers a lot of other questions too. It answers: Is there a God? Which I happen to think there is. Different people may call him different, him or her different things, but uh, I believe that there's a higher power. Uh, so yeah, I think that would be my that would be my question. Okay, so just sorry, Kevin, just one more. Why would you want to know that? What would it What would it bring to you? That you have well, what is the greatest fear of people? The greatest fear is the fear of the unknown. This would be assurance. It would be assurance in one direction or the other. Um, I, I think maybe if we knew that there wasn't anything after this, I mean, I think that's kind of a downer, but maybe we learn to, you know, I've heard people who say, goodness, I hope this doesn't happen to me or anybody I love. I'm not wishing it on anybody, but I've heard people say that when they're given a terminal diagnosis, that they live each and every day, something, uh, a switch is flipped and they live each and every day very mindfully and get every ounce of uh, of life out of those few remaining days and maybe that would have that impact if we found out there was nothing say hey you better make this good for what it is this is it and if it if it turned out the other way which is kind of the way i hope it turns out you know hopefully you have an opportunity to reunite with your loved ones that's a big one for me who have passed um, and also know that, yeah, you, you want to take advantage of every day you have here, but it's not the be all and end all. There is something to look forward to. So I guess those would be the kind of flip sides of the coin of why I'd want to know. Okay. So Jim, um, how can people get in touch with you if they what? have a, a, a campfire story or they want to hear your podcast or they actually want to contact you? How do they get in touch with you? Uh, a couple ways. JimHerald.com, J-I-M-H-A-R-O-L-D.com is the hub for everything I do. If you want to check out my podcast, you can on all the regular podcast podcatchers, or you can download a free app that I have on uh, Apple, Android, and uh, Amazon uh, tablets and so forth. Pretty much all the major devices. It's called Jim Harold Spooky Studio, and that's free, and you can listen to a ton of free podcasts on that. And then also I'd recommend everybody check out my Facebook group, Jim Harold's Virtual Campfire, where people log in and they tell their stories. And I think right now we have something like a little over 13,000 members to that oh, wow. Facebook group. Yeah, that's really exploded. That's something I wish I would have done two or three years earlier. It's been around maybe about two and a half years now, and it's just uh, going great guns. And the beauty of that is the campfire is 24-7, 365 days a year because People just put their stories up and say, hey, this is what happened to me. We've got some good moderation there, so we keep out the spammers and all that. So uh, it's uh, Jim Harold's Virtual Campfire on Facebook, and that's free as well. So those would be kind of the three touch points. And uh, as I said, all of the major podcast apps, and uh, then we can go from there. But uh, I really appreciate your time today. I really enjoyed our discussion, and hopefully you can have – Another discussion, maybe next time I could tell you some campfire stories. Oh, absolutely. And as a, as a note before we close, um, you've also compiled those stories into five books. Where can the listeners maybe look for those? 
They can find them on Amazon, or if they want one easy link where they're all located, go to jimheraldbooks.com. That's jimheraldbooks.com. Thank you, Jim. Wow, what a great experience interviewing you. Thank you to my co-host, Kevin. Um, it's been a long time since Kevin and I have worked together, so it's just been great catching up with Kevin. And um, for us both to be able to interview yourself, Jim, who's so experienced in, in the, the podcast and the paranormal world, it's, um, it's, been, it's been fun and informative. And uh, wow, looking forward to the next time when you share your stories. Thank Absolutely. You. Thank you all. Jim, to find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.